Radio Drome. Welcome to a special edition of Radio Drome. This won't be a full episode. It won't be a regular episode. I'm friends with the guys at Vinegar Syndrome, and I think they're a really kick-ass, relatively young company. They've got an Indiegogo right now that I want to help out with. We're not really getting anything out of this other than we're all fans of the kind of stuff that they do. So first I want to say go to Indiegogo and help them out with their campaign to get Vinegar Syndrome TV up and running. You can listen to the interview that I'm going to play in a little bit with Joe Rubin that I did to find out exactly what Vinegar Syndrome TV is. Short version, it's going to be a softcore... It's going to be Netflix for exploitation and hardcore films of the past. How can oh, you not? Oh, God. That is, that is my dream. That's what I want. Okay, Peter's already going to be subscribing. I'm sure, I'm sure Cecil will be, too. Most likely, yes. So one of the things that Vinegar Syndrome, after interviewing Joe, that I came up with was film preservation. One of their things is about preserving films that no one else cared about. And when I say no one, I mean the people who made them. They didn't store the elements properly. Nobody knows where some reels are. How important is film preservation for, even if it's just a hardcore film from the 70s that nobody has watched since 1979, do you think film preservation is something that we need to be more on top of in 2015? Absolutely, because there is a lot of great older movies that just uh, are, are being forgotten or, or getting to the point of where the film stock is just degrading to the where it's just not viewable anymore. And uh, back in, in, in the day, they weren't really looking at uh, like a forward thinking things. They thought, you know, films would basically be, you know, run theatrically, then people would watch them and then they would be forgotten. So they weren't really preserved as much as they should. So it's a shame that now there are a lot of really terrible movies that because they're being archived digitally that, you know, will be seen in future generations when there's a lot of old, really awesome historical films that, you know, well, some historical, some just crappy. But Carnal Olympics might be lost to time. We'll always have grownups. <laughs> exactly. I think it's very important, not even uh, to clean up the reels to, to get rid of some of the grain, but to release things uh, the way they were meant to be shown. There are a lot of uh, movies that in their initial home video release that you weren't able to see for the longest time uh, in its full uncut format. Like, um, I mean, thanks to thanks to things like uh, uh, the, the the guy who founded it was a Sylvester Stallone's son, uh, Sage, who kind of recently passed away. But he he brought to us like things like Grindhouse releasing, and through that we got a nice crystal clear uncut version of uh, Women's Prison Massacre and, and Cannibal Holocaust and, and films like that. So film preservation is absolutely important important when it comes to this stuff because it's not only given us great versions of these movies that you could only watch on VHS for the longest time in, in this crystal clear, great format, but in uncut, you're seeing all the scenes. It's not butchered. It has the original soundtrack, which uh, also companies like shout factory are doing. Um, I was so excited to recently pick up their copy. Um, it's a four pack with, I think it's like eye of the tiger um, cyclone. I picked and- up that same set. Yeah, and I got it just for Exterminator 2 because I love that film and I'd only ever seen it on VHS for so many years. And watching it in its cleaned up, uncut form, it's it's like watching a whole nother movie again. You're, you're like seeing it for the first time 
because you're noticing like how much care was really taken into creating some really uh, cool atmosphere and you can see the action scenes so much better. So it's, it's incredibly important to, to this, to this genre because we need people who really care about it. And it, it really sounds like this whole exploitation Netflix thing is, is going to be something that uh, I'll be using the hell out of. Well, and one of the cool things about vinegar syndrome is I got the DVD for sugar cookies, that early Lloyd Kaufman film, that early trauma movie from the seventies. Oh, wow. Okay. First of all, the fact that sugar cookies has a Blu-ray release is a little mind blowing. But the fact that I don't think the theatrical print looked as goddamn good as this Blu-ray does. (laughs) This film has never looked this good. And I'm going through Vinegar Syndrome's website. I'm not trying to make this a plug for Vinegar Syndrome. But I'm looking through their website. I'm seeing movies on here that, that never even got a VHS release. They're getting their first home video release ever on Blu-ray. Five years ago, would you have even thought that kind of thing possible? No, and I think it's fantastic. I think it's great that we're like it's to me with movies. There's so many of them. There's so many generations of films that it's something you could really never get bored of. Like uh, I feel sorry for people who only watch new releases because there are movies being discovered every day and being remastered every day. And it's it's so great when something like Vinegar Syndrome comes along and is and is adding already to what. Uh, things like Grindhouse releasing and and Shout Factory are doing. It's it's great that there's there's different venues that you can check out for this stuff. And if you can't find something one place, you go to another place. And it's amazing to see them not only get their you know their their due, but to see them get cleaned up so beautifully. Oh yeah, it's it's beautiful too because um with with some movies, the ones that have gotten to VHS they've only ever been seen in full frame. And so there's a lot of them that are getting restored back to their full widescreen glory. And mm-hmm. uh, they're looking better than they ever have. It's it's awesome because you're getting the full picture, you're getting better audio, and you're getting like the quality that just has been lacking for however long since you know the movie was released. Was Sugar Cookies the one with the girl from The Crazies? It was the one with Mary Warnov as the psychotic, sadistic lesbian. <laughs> oh, right, 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 Peck. Oh, yeah. Young Mary, well, I shouldn't say just Young Mary. Mary Warrenoff across the board is uh, is great. But, uh, yeah, Young Mary Warrenoff is is just, uh, is she's really pretty back then. Sugar Cookies was written and directed by her husband. So she's like, so you saw me as a murderous, sadistic lesbian. We need to talk. <laughs> like, this is the role you wrote for your wife. But then when it comes to film preservation, when when something... I don't know. I, I think there's a there's a there's an attitude that I've seen lately, especially not just with Vinegar Syndrome, but with Scorpion releasing, Grindhouse releasing, some of these other companies. The attitude is, why are you bothering with these films? <laughs> the, the, there, there's this arrogance of these are cheapy exploitation films. You're wasting money remastering these in 4K. What what's the point? And I think that's more of a problem with the audience than it is with anything else. But why do you think there's that attitude that something like Women's Prison Massacre doesn't deserve the kind of treatment that it gets? 
there are there's always going to be people that that just look at old movies or look at exploitation or grindhouse stuff as just not worthwhile you know oh well you know the the reason why uh, it never made it to dvd or whatever the reason why it never got updated is because it's old and worthless and it sucks not really the case a lot of times the older movies just never made the transference because over the years the rights uh, issues have gone to different companies or it was too expensive for them for anyone to really bother to bring something that was that obscure back and uh Cecil, it's, it's... Tell, tell people about the tracks story why tracks is still not on dvd oh yeah I think that's a perfect example tracks is a perfect example shadow stevens tried to buy the rights to tracks because he finally found out who had it uh, hbo through various you know, w- you know over the years finally hbo had acquired the rights to it and shadow stevens contacted them and was like you know do you plan on doing anything with tracks and they're like no we have no interest in doing anything with the movie and he wanted to buy the rights from them so that he could take it remaster it and re-edit the film to kind of be the movie that it should have been in the first place and they were like no, we we would rather you know do nothing with it than than to you know sell the rights to you. It just it, they would rather keep it buried, and I think that that's a, a big problem with a lot of them is that the companies that own them they don't want somebody else to take it and make money off of it, so they would rather just sit on it. We're getting we're losing a lot of really good movies. I mean, regardless of your feelings on it, this was something that was created and it it. it entertained a lot of people it was loved by an entire generation well i think with a lot of people that turn their noses up at the at the exploitation genre at old uh slasher films and whatnot they're um they're the same people who will advocate filmmakers like quentin tarantino and i'm not going to shit on quentin tarantino here but uh the people turning their noses up at you know films like women's prison massacre and pieces and cannibal holocaust you need to shut the fuck up because these are the films that fueled Quentin Tarantino's ter- uh, career. So it's people that don't understand really what they're talking about. These are these are movies that a uh, a lot of filmmakers become inspired by. They're important to not just its own genre, but to cinema in general. It's it's great to have them out there for people to see, so they can see the the beginnings of a lot of their favorite genres, so they can see more uh, giallo films and old spaghetti post-apocalyptic films and old slasher films so so they can see where a, a lot of modern filmmaking is, is coming from. A lot of people are inspired by these, you know, so-called crappy exploitation movies and whatnot. And I, I think uh, it, it's just really, there are people that will turn their noses up at, at anything and that's just kind of what comes with the territory. Let's go to the interview that I conducted with Joe Rubin of Vinegar Syndrome and then we'll be back. To start off, can you tell people what the what vinegar syndrome actually means? I've had a lot of people kind of raise their eyebrow at vinegar syndrome. It's a term that refers to the smell given off when film deteriorates. So it, when motion picture film starts to decay, because remember it's a chemical compound, so breaks down over time. The odor that's given off by the decaying chemicals smells pretty similar to vinegar. So it's become known among film people as vinegar syndrome. So you talk about films as having gone vinegared 
this is vinegar. It, it's just it's it's a it's a sort of a shorthand way of explaining to someone who is working in film that that piece of film is decaying. So why did you pick that for the name of your company then? Uh, it's sort of twofold. It's uh, a good joke and reference for those who get it, and it's also kind of a way of reminding people that. The types of films that we're releasing are the types of films that, if they're not preserved, are going to decay and then will be lost. What types of films are those? We primarily release exploitation films and X-rated films. The reason for this, one, we enjoy them, and two, because there are very few other companies that are really focusing on the specific types of film that we're releasing. So, you know, there are like great companies out there like Synapse and Severin and Blue Underground and Grindhouse releasing and all of these companies are doing amazing work preserving films. But very few of these companies have really touched on the X-rated stuff. The only company that really has done a wonderful job preserving X-rated films is Distribix, which we've been working with for years. And really besides us and Steven at Distribix, there aren't any other companies out there that are doing what essentially amount to studio-level preservation of X-rated films, the more sort of sexually-oriented side of general exploitation films. And it's a type of film that has meant a lot to me for years and was always what I focused on before in terms of acquiring and trying to do some preservation work on before um, my partner and I founded the Deer Syndrome. As such, when we did, that was sort of our immediate focus because there really wasn't anyone else doing it. You know, we obviously have released a lot of stuff that's not X-rated. We've done a good number of horror films and some action films and various other sorts of exploitation stuff, even like some, uh, we're now starting a sub-label. I, I don't even know if it's really called a sub-label, but a new label called Etiquette Pictures, which is going to be focused pretty much entirely on what I guess would be referred to as art films, experimental films, more sort of avant-garde documentaries and things like that. So we have titles like The American Dreamer, the documentary, the pseudo-documentary about Dennis Hopper making the last movie, a really great film called Some Call It Loving, which is a sort of surreal take on Freaking Beauty with Zalman King, and uh, some uh, uh, never really released anywhere uh, regional drama called Loose Ends, all slated for release under etiquette, among a lot of other stuff. So we're trying to you know, cover as many areas as possible. The focus on the Vineyard Syndrome side has pretty much always been and probably always will be sexploitation films, X-rated films, and films that we are not really seeing anyone else pay attention to. Well, with nobody else paying attention to them, is it sometimes difficult to find the elements that you need? Because I saw your your Blu-ray of Sugar Cookies, and I don't I don't think that film looked that good upon initial release. Was it, is it difficult it, to it get some of this stuff together? Well, Sugar Cookies is actually a licensed film from Troma. They own the rights to it, and they have the camera negative. Troma is actually we've been working with Troma for a little over a year now, doing releases of some of their back catalog films. Their element, as an example, uh, is actually a good example of one of the issues that comes up when working with these films. You know, there's a lot of stuff that we'd like to do that Troma owns, but some of the films, there's no negative. Some of the films, there's incomplete elements. That's really indicative of how a lot of these films were stored. So in many cases, like Sugar is being one of the rare examples of a film where we wanted to do it and they actually have the camera negative, though 
going back to vinegar syndrome. The first reel of it was totally vinegared and warped and shrunk and was in really rough shape. So did a 4K scan of it, even though it will probably never be run in 4K. We still decided to do a 4K scan just because the first reel of that film is probably going to be completely unusable within the next five years. So this is sort of like the last opportunity to do a good preservation of it. But um, like graduation day, which also came from trauma, they had no idea what the negative was. And that was actually restored from an answer print. So we were lucky enough to find an answer print of it. And that's what we actually did the restoration of graduation day from because the negative is still, as far as we can tell, missing. So to answer your question, in many cases, the exploitation stuff, it's kind of we find the elements first, then we decide to release it. It's not as much that we like go out looking for the negative for a specific film and then we find it and then release it. It's more that we find the negative for the film, then we get the rights, then we release it. So it's it's kind of like the backwards way of doing things compared to how most of the labels operate, but it's also the only way to operate because there are just so many films out there and trying to track down individual titles has rarely proved very fruitful. Well, you said you you were tracking these down. Sometimes finding the chain of ownership of these things is insane. Have you run into the problem where you found the print and then you've tried to get the rights and you run into that weird situation where nobody really knows who owns the damn thing anymore? Yeah, that, that happens all the time. You know, copyright is, is a... Uh, U.S. copyright law is actually very, very cut and dry. Like, there's no, there's no mystery as to whether something is in the public domain or not. Contrary to what a lot of people like to claim, in many cases, you know, we'll find materials for a film and then not be able to find the owner. Like, we have, you know, probably a hundred, two hundred films in our archive right now that we have materials for that we have been completely unable to find the owners of, and therefore we can't do a thing with. So there's a lot of films at the moment that we'd love to put out, but we just can't. And then there are other films that we'll find and the owners like just, oh, I don't care, do whatever you want or can't find the owner. So we have to figure out what the copyright status of the film is. And if it is indeed public domain, we can release it. But if it's not, as I said, you know, it just becomes one of these films that we have materials on, but just have to sit on perpetually. Well, and a lot of your stuff has extras. Some of these things are loaded with, I mean, like uh, Punk Vacation. Who the hell thought there, were, there would not only be a Blu-ray release of that, but with that many extras? Do you find well, it difficult to acquire some of the original people to talk about them again? That's actually, especially with X-rated stuff, that's very difficult because most of the people who made these films are dead. Punk Vacation, though, is actually sort of a unique example of... Uh, of why a film got released. The people who made Punk Vacation actually came to us just to get the film transferred a few years ago. This is before we even had a veneer. partner was uh, a professional colorist, and he and they just had him do a scan and the restoration of the film just for them so they could have it. And then after we started Veneer Syndrome, we got back in touch with them and asked if they were interested in having the film released, and they were interested. So uh, that's actually the only time that's happened where a filmmaker has come to us and had us do the film. But insofar as extras, it's very mixed because in some cases, you know, like a good example is um, Runaway Nightmare. The director, Mike Cartel, was really excited that, you know, someone wanted to release his film. So he was 
all about being involved with the release as much as he could and whatnot. But you know, we we so he was great because he contributed whatever we needed. Though in the case of a lot of other films, it becomes pretty much impossible to do anything. Pretty Peaches is a good example because Durandi, who directed it, is dead, and we have an interview with him on the disc. But it, you know, an, an interview that he did for a British camera crew in like 2000 like 99 or something and it was just an hour of him rambling on about stuff and i managed to cut it into like 20 minutes of somewhat coherent babbling but you know in the case of a lot of these movies it's not as much that the people who were involved with them don't want to talk it's that the people who made them are dead you're releasing a lot of niche titles and even among the collectors I never thought I'd see a digital release of that movie ever. Are you seeing a lot of interest with the eclectic the eclectic catalog you have? It completely bottles our minds what does well and what does not. So like a film that like we'll be really all excited about and like be really enthusiastic and hyping up might do great for like the first month and then just die. And then a film they're like, Oh, no one's gonna care about this thing and you know, we're selling like a huge quantity every single month, months and months and months after it comes out. So I really can't account for why some stuff that we've released has done extraordinarily well and other stuff happens. But overall, what people seem to enjoy, or at least what sells consistently, are the extradited films, which is good because that's what we focused on. I'm not really sure. You know, people ask me very often what our customer bases, like how I would classify them. And I really have no idea. Like my guess is, and I'm saying this only because I used to manage a video store and the people who would rent these films, uh, I'm assuming you're the same as the people who would buy them. And the people who would rent um, X-rated films from the 70s and early 80s tended to be guys in their mid-30s. And my guess as to why that is is because they were growing up in the 80s and early 90s and they had VCRs and they were watching these films on VHS and that seeing them now again, you know, 20, 30 years later, looking nice and restored and on DVD, there's a certain degree of like nostalgic appreciation, but it's also uh, the people who watch X-rated films today, like 70s and 80s X-rated films, are a very different audience and coming from a very different mindset when we watch them when they came out. There's a lot more of a cinephile component. There's a lot more people who are like serious film lovers who would, you know, put an Anthony Smelly film on the shelf right next to a Godard film because they're both filmmakers and they're both serious filmmakers and they both made interesting movies. And, you know, those are the people who I think are the most vocal in their appreciation for this sort of thing but you know anonymous hundreds of people who are buying these every single month i have no idea who they are well since since you said you kind of started off and your main focus is the adult stuff now for months we've been hearing about a service that was coming called skinaflex and i signed up for the newsletter right away and i i saw it was it was kind of like netflix but for hardcore and now from my understanding you're not doing skinaflix anymore that's morphed into vinegar syndrome tv correct yes and the morphing has simply meant that all the stuff that was going to be on skinaflix is still going to be available 
just the stuff that wasn't going to be in the flicks, like the horror stuff and the action stuff and the art film stuff is now going to be included as well. So it's something, so it's like Skinoflix uh, Plus, I guess. With that in mind, continuing to call it Skinoflix just really makes sense because it immediately conjures the image of something to do with sex. And although probably two-thirds to three-quarters of the films on there are going to be either soft or hardcore films, because it's not going to be specifically devoted to that, we just went for the more generic name. But that's really the only distinction, like all the other features and options and categories and whatnot that were going to be available on Cineflix will still presumably be available through this one, just with the stuff that wasn't going to be there also being there. Now, when are you aiming for a launch for Vinegar Syndrome TV? It depends in large part on the success of the fundraising campaign. The closer we get to our goal, which is $50,000, the sooner we'll have it up. If we actually make our goal, we are striving for an early May launch. If we don't, it'll really depend on how close to our goal we get. Like right now, we are just over the halfway point with a little over two weeks left as of the date of this recording. Definitely good that we're over the halfway point, but that means we still have a little under half to go. So that's still quite a bit. If we don't get our goal, uh, hopefully not too much later, but it'll probably be at least a couple months. Best case scenario, I guess, May hopefully worst case scenario, no more than like the end of the summer. So when this actually launches and it'll, depending on when it launches, as Joe said, it'll depend on whether they hit their goal at Indiegogo or not, which I do encourage people to give to. They've got some great rewards, including lifetime memberships and whatnot. Vinegar Syndrome TV is something that I personally will watch. And you both know how much I hate streaming services. Like, I will not watch Netflix for any reason. You guys both know how much I hate streaming, and I'm getting a subscription to Vinegar Syndrome TV because they've got movies that Netflix has never heard of, and the Mm -hmm. fact that they've got hardcores, hardcores that have never had a, a VHS release even. Without making this sound too much like a commercial, Peter, why are you interested in Vinegar Syndrome TV? Same reason you are. I'm not all that into Netflix because, and for me, it's not so much that I don't care for streaming. It's that they're movies I can find fairly easily. I mean, I could go see them in the theater. I could go buy them in a store. Um, But when it comes to streaming, you know, exploitation movies, preserved old films from like the 70s and 80s that are actually quite hard to track down. You got to just try shops. finding raw just try finding raw force on Netflix. Exactly. It's not easy. It's it's hell, it's not that easy on eBay or going to a pawn shop. Like it's it's pretty hard to find films like that. So I think that really is something that I want because I watch a lot of movies to begin with. I watch mainstream stuff and I watch the obscure stuff. The the streaming device for the mainstream stuff doesn't really do much for me because it's easy for me to access that kind of stuff. So I'd rather have something that I can go on to, I can see something I've never heard of before that looks cool, that looks like something I might enjoy and, and I can watch. Like I, to me, uh, an, an exploitation version of Netflix, I, I said it at the sort of the beginning of this is that it's, it's a dream come true for me. And it really is. That's something I've been wanting for years. Do you think Vinegar Syndrome TV 
will will reach a wider audience than than I think even Joe is thinking it will. I don't I don't know. I mean, it, it's kind of funny because you don't really know the audience that is into that, and it's probably larger than a lot of people realize because there right now there's a lot of people that are. Uh, you know, in their 40s and 50s that grew up with uh, a lot of these old exploitation films and there's not a way for them to watch them easily or to watch them at all. And uh, to have the potential to have something where you'll be able to go and and see these things in really good condition, then I think that uh, that that will probably go over really well. Um, I hope that, uh, you know, I hope it works out for them. So Vinegar Syndrome TV should be launching by this summer, possibly a little earlier. I'm going to be subscribing to it. And like I said, I don't like streaming services, but they've got shit you cannot find anywhere else. And they're not paying us for this. I I'm, I like Joe Rubin. I've loved their service. I think Vinegar Syndrome is an awesome company, and I want to get in good with them on the ground floor because I think <laughs> I think they're going to be the next Scream Factory. You know, the way everyone goes to Scream Factory and goes, now this is a DVD company that everyone stands behind. I Mm -hmm. think Vinegar Syndrome is that for the even more obscure exploitation films. So it'll be by this summer, Vinegar Syndrome TV will go live. So guys, go check out their Indiegogo. Help them reach their goal. And I hope you enjoyed this Radio Drum special. Go to 1201beyond.com. Go see Cecil's stuff. Go see Peter's stuff. And go to VinegarSyndrome.com. Get some DVDs or something. Or get a t-shirt. They're, they've got a cool-ass logo.
Radio Drome is a 1201 Beyond production. Visit 1201beyond.com for more great shows.